Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 90 of the Practicology Podcast. We're so glad to have you with us today. And we're also glad to have a guest podcaster with us today, and that is Vincent Kember, coming to us from Ottawa. Uh, he was with us for podcasts back last September and October on the subject of unity. And today he's going to help us work towards, in a two-part study, uh, he's going to help us work towards a, a theology of government. Welcome, Vincent. Hey, how's it going? Great. So the title I have for our episode today is, What Do We Expect from Government? I guess uh, just to place this in a bit of context, I, I wrote some of these notes and was thinking through some of these issues probably at the same time where a lot of believers um, had to work through these issues, which was uh, over the pandemic years, these, these past few years. In particular, here in my home city of Ottawa, we had um, the trucker protests or occupation and uh Obviously, uh, this is something that a lot of dis different believers, different Christians disagreed about, um, at times fairly vehemently. So there's a lot of confusion, a lot of worry about the, the role of government. Um, obviously, we also have the conflict, the war in, in Ukraine taking place uh, still today. So what I'm thinking is that we really need to try to recalibrate our vision from Scripture. And one question that may help us is to ask ourselves, what do we actually expect from our government? So just sort of stepping back and asking ourselves that question. What is their role and how uh, should we see them? Now, there's different places we could turn to in Scripture to help us with that, but I actually want to go back to the book of Daniel. Um, I really enjoyed um, looking at the book of Daniel um, at different times in my life. And what I appreciate about it, especially on this topic, is so at times we kind of want a, the Lord to give us an essay, uh, but instead of a sociological manual, he gives us a story. He gives us visions. And this is definitely the case in what we're going to see today. We're going to look at a pair of visions from Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 7. And these images communicate to us down at a gut level. So it's not just a theoretical framework, but they communicate in a way that helps us to, uh, to, to engage our imagination and to intuitively receive the understanding that God wants us to develop. Sounds good. So, Matthew, maybe I'll get you to read the, the first vision in chapter 2. All right, I'll read some selected verses here from Daniel 2, where he says to King Nebuchadnezzar, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you. And then he speaks of the head of fine gold, chest and arms of silver, middle and thighs of bronze, and legs of iron. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away, but the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And then Daniel interprets the dream, and he says that Nebuchadnezzar was that head of gold. And another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze shall uh, arise, which shall rule over all the earth. And there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, and like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw, the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed." nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. 
God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Thanks, Matthew. So uh, in their book, John Lennox and David Gooding, um, they have a book called Against the Flow, which I really enjoyed on Daniel. And they sort of show that there's a, a mirroring between chapters 1 and 5, but also between chapters 2 and 7. So basically two visions of the same thing. And the one you just read in chapter 2 is, is likely the one people are more familiar with, the statue with the different metals. But really we're going to see another perspective on, on the same thing in chapter 7. So maybe I'll get you to read um, that vision as well. All right, in chapter 7, Daniel is now uh, under the reign of Belshazzar. And Belshazzar had a dream of visions in his head as he lay in his bed. I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Another beast, a second one like a bear, raised up on one side, three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. After this, I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And then he says, bound uh, in verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel says, These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Thanks, Matthew. So I think we can we can see some of the links that are going on there. But just for those who are are more visually uh, like myself, uh, visual learners, uh, I think we're going to try to put in the show notes a little graph that shows uh, these these things side by side. So these these four empires, um, and I think they can be pretty clearly traced to Babylon. Well, we're told we're told right in the passage that the first one is Babylon, and then Medo-Persia, the second one, so the bear and the silver, Greece, which would be the thighs of bronze, and this four-headed leopard with wings, and then roam these legs of iron, or this uh, this beast that's crushing everything. And then, of course, we have the sort of ten toes, ten horns, these following kingdoms. So we'll try to put that graph in the show notes. But uh, if you can kind of hold that picture in your head of these, these four um, kingdoms that succeed one another, um, and represented by four metals or four beasts, but both visions end the same way, which is really in contrast to what came before. And that's God intervening. He intervenes and sets up his own kingdom. And the contrast is between that, that heavenly kingdom, that kingdom of God, and all the kingdoms of man, the kingdoms that have come before. So obviously these four uh, huge world empires, they're not the only ones, and they're not the last ones. There have been others since then. But I would suggest that they become representative of truths that God wants to show us about nations in general, how he deals with them, how we should understand them, where it's all going. So that brings us back to our, our title question, what do we expect from government? So I just want to sort of boil it down to two memorable statements for, for this episode. So what do we expect from government? Two things. First of all, don't worship the statue. And secondly, don't fear the beast. Don't worship the statue. Don't fear the beast. I got it. Great. So let's look at the first lesson that we learned from this uh, these visions 
in Daniel. So lesson one is the Bible presents both the glory and the terror of human government. And we see that in these, these two images. We tend to see only one side of the coin at a time, usually depending on our current reality or our relationship with government right now. So the statue sort of shows um, the, the glorious side, that there's a glory to earthly kingdoms and rulers. And really that brings us back to the beginning of scripture, to Genesis chapter one, where we see that humans are created in the image of God. So there's a great um, role, there's a, a worth, a purpose, a glory to humans that are made in the image of God. Yeah, part of being made in the image of God is that they were to exercise dominion over the earth, right? That's right. Now the beast images um, show us that there's also a destructive terror to these earthly kings and kingdoms. And again, this brings us back to Genesis 3, where we're told that the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. So we see this beastliness um, in the serpent, in the original, the first enemy of, of mankind. Are you saying, Vincent, that both of these characteristics, the glory and the terror, that they both could exist at the same time in the same government? Like, instead of our viewing a particular government that we thought to be totally wonderful, and boy, that would be the country or the province to live in, I should be aware that there are some downsides too to that government and vice versa. Maybe a government I think I'm really angry at and I'm, I'm not happy about what they're doing, but is there also a glory to them? That's right. We tend to see it more as an either-or, whereas uh, Scripture is presenting that both are, are coexisting at the same time. All right. I mean, human kingdoms are an extension of what's actually true about all humans. We have a glory as image bearers of God but it has been distorted and disordered by sin. So the result is a tendency to act more like monsters than caretakers of creation. We shouldn't write off human advances and discoveries. Those discoveries are evidence of a capacity that reflects the creativity of God himself. There is a glory to humankind that sometimes we fail to acknowledge. But we also have to have our eyes open to the beast-like nature of human governments, even when it's veiled. And really the book of Daniel pulls back the veil on that spiritual world that's actually, we're, we're swimming in it day by day, but we're so often oblivious to it. I think of chapter 10, there's a, a, an interesting, there's an intri intriguing passage there about the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And it's clear there that that is a, a spiritual being because he's grappling with Michael, this other spiritual being, this angelic power. And really that reminds us that behind earthly powers are spiritual powers. So when we get angry, scared, frustrated with human rulers, we should remember that darker powers are actually using those rulers as puppets. And all of that is, of course, taking place underneath God's sovereign, permissive will. So a good passage to remind us of this from the New Testament would be Ephesians 6 and 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Well, if I've got those forces to contend with as is, I'm, I'm not really going to gain much by challenging Justin Trudeau or Pierre Polyev to a, a wrestling match, I suppose, am I? Um, <laughs> Especially not a boxing match, because we yeah. already saw Trudeau. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I think he won, didn't he? I can't remember. He now. did, yeah. Okay. I think he did. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the way that we... How do, I mean, the way that we wrestle against these cosmic powers, certainly one of the ways is going to be prayer, isn't it? That's right. And having, having the right conception of them in the first place, thinking of things through this biblical lens, is certainly going to help us to direct our energy towards that spiritual warfare. And I think that's helpful.
All right, lesson one, the Bible presents both the glory and the terror of human government. So lesson number two would be that things are getting worse, not better. And so we see this in the statue because the metals actually become stronger and stronger. So you could say there is some improvement. Um, they're, they're more efficient, these metals, but they also become less and less precious, right? So we go from the gold through the silver, the bronze to the iron. And this reminds me that, yes, uh, in some ways, if we look at the story of humanity, there's there's definitely areas of improvement. No one can negate that, you know, in areas of technology, maybe sociology, media, um, there's improvement in human kingdoms. But it seems like scripture is proposing that there also there's a, a loss of glory, perhaps, in other areas. And as for the beasts, they also have a kind of glory. Um, it reminds me of the title of one of C.S. Lewis's less well-known novels, That Hideous Strength. These beasts have a, a glory, a hideous strength. But the emphasis goes from more majestic animals, like the lion and the eagle that we see in the first, to more and more ruthless, efficient, and then eventually cruel animals with this last, this final beast. So we see that things are getting worse, not better. And if we actually study the historical fulfillment, um, there's all kinds of details in those visions that we can map onto those four world empires that I mentioned. And that's a really interesting study in itself, but it's not really the point of the study today. But these, these four kingdoms become the metaphor for all human rule. So uh, we should think about how it informs our view of government today. There's kind of a sense, I think, since the Enlightenment, um, so-called Enlightenment, that societies uh, were sort of getting better and better and better. But I think the 20th century should have dispelled, it certainly hasn't, but it should have dispelled that idea f forever. I mean, if you think of the millions upon millions of people that died in communist regimes, these two world wars, the Holocaust, the threat of nuclear destruction, you know, during the Cold War, but also seems a specter that seems to be raised again today, all these things are a grim reminder that the beasts are still alive and well, and things are getting worse in that sense, not better. Yeah, so this idea that we are just making a steady steam of progress in human civilization and, and, and every change is, is automatically good and, and progressing towards the ideal, it's, it's simply a lie. It doesn't add up. Uh, I read these words of Mark Sayers recently, Vince, that describe this progressive vision of the world as the kingdom without the king, and the king being mm -hmm. the Lord Jesus. So he says... The issue is we want all of God's blessings without submitting to his loving rule and reign. We want progress without his presence. We want justice without justification. We want the horizontal implications of the gospel for society without the vertical reconciliation of sinners with God. And I take it you're sort of saying that ultimately isn't actually possible, right? Yeah, I think that's really helpful. People want the kingdom, like you said, without the king. But the truth is that a kingdom is made out of people is made up of people. And if those people are themselves broken and sinful, well, the kingdom will also be that. It will reflect that sinfulness and that brokenness. Mm -hmm. So God in his wisdom, he's going to bring about a kingdom, but first he's creating a people. And so he's changing the hearts. He's creating this people. And only once that is done, you know, can this kingdom, this government, this righteous rule take place with, with these redeemed hearts. So I think of uh, Ezekiel 36 and 26, this beautiful prophecy. It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rule. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people 
and I will be your God. So it begins really with, with changing the heart. Good. Most of us have only known peacetime, certainly speaking for myself. So we, we probably fall into this illusion of progress ourselves at times. But these visions are here to remind us that human governments, while they're perhaps growing stronger, are not actually becoming more godly or more glorious. So that's why we have to be careful not to place our hope on these temporary earthly kingdoms. So I take it you're, you're going to give us a little hint as to where we can place our hope. Yeah, so it kind of brings us into the third lesson for today, which is that all human rule is temporary, but his eternal kingdom is coming. Mm. So we see that because both visions culminate with that coming kingdom, the coming king, that contrasts with the world, the worldly kingdoms that came before. So uh, we had the stone cut without hands in the first vision. We have the son of man in the clouds in the second vision. And in both of those cases, we see that that this kingdom comes directly from God himself. It doesn't rise up from some kind of human progress. It comes from God. And it has to destroy these corrupt earthly kingdoms in order to, to establish God's kingdom. Um, this, this new kingdom is righteous. Its glory surpasses all the metals. Its strength surpasses all the beasts. It's the righteous kingdom and it's the righteous king that we long for and that we, we need. And the coming of this kingdom is the true hope of the saints. This is where we need to place our true hope. Our hope is not in the glory of the statue or hoping for the mercy of the beasts. It's Amen. actually for this, this future kingdom that's going to come and, and destroy these corrupt earthly kingdoms. God is going to establish his own. Amen. So if we try to, uh, we try to pull back the curtain on, on, uh, with Daniel and look at our own society, um, we have to remember that these governments have been allowed by God first of all, but there are forces that are behind them that we can't understand. There's this spiritual warfare that's going on. And yes, these kingdoms have a glory, but don't fall for it. <laughs> and yes, they have a terror, but don't quake before them. Set your eyes on the stone, on the Son of Man, on God's kingdom that's coming on earth as it is in heaven. They have a glory, but don't fall for it. They have a terror, but don't quake before them. That's good. Thank you. So that's basically just a reformulation of our, our two taglines for today. Don't worship the statue. Don't fear the beast. So let's just explore those one last time, sort of as we finish up. So don't worship the statue. What do we expect from government? Well, we need to appreciate earthly authorities as given by God. We need to submit to them as a form of submission to the actual authority that has allowed them. So that's God himself. And hopefully we can explore that in a bit more detail in the next podcast. But also we don't depend on them. And we try not to worship one system, whether it's democracy or any other form of human government. We don't worship the system. And we need to fight. Uh, we don't feel like we need to fight to preserve uh, whatever our favored earthly form of government might be. And sometimes when we are talking constantly about our rights, we perhaps reveal through our language that our hope is in the statue rather than the rock, if you know what I mean. I know what you mean, but I think I better uh, ask you about something, Vincent. I mean, many people would likely say, shouldn't we be very thankful for democracy? Uh, in some respects, we've been made to think that this is God's answer for a broken world. So what would you say to that in response? <laughs> I mean, I may be out of my depth here. I'm certainly no expert. What I would maybe point out is that democracy as a system um, naturally does establish some checks and balances on the power of the state. And so it maybe restrains that 
that uh, ability of the beastly side of the government to, to come out and to be destructive. And so I think thankfulness is, is a good word that you've pointed out there when it comes to that system. But we don't depend on that system. And, and obviously Christianity has thrived in every uh, system. And so we, we can't place our hope there. We can't pin our hope there because that kind of comes back to worshiping the statue. Um, or, or when we fear that we lose that, then we're afraid of the beastliness. But really, if we can set our eyes beyond any one form of human government and look to that to that coming kingdom, I think that's a healthier and a more scriptural way of placing our hope. Yeah, I think that's well put. Thank you. Um, you know what you know what Churchill said about democracy? No. I think it was Winston Churchill who said democracy is the worst form of human government, except for all the rest. <laughs> yeah, I think I did hear that actually. All right. Yeah. So uh, that was uh, reminding us not to worship the statue. And then on the other side, to finish off, don't fear the beast. We need to have our eyes open, as I'm trying to been, as I've been trying to point out. So seeing the powers that are behind the powers, seeing the spiritual dimensions that are at work. And so we can't be surprised when these governments turn out to be abusive, controlling, or even cruel. Because Daniel was able to see through them, see them for what they were, which is beasts. And so when we have these false expectations these from our, from our governments, it'll cause dismay when they do reveal that true character, that beastliness. But having a biblical vision will prepare us, I think, for suffering at times and for having a strong testimony through the furnace, if we want to take the whole book of Daniel and other images that are going on there too. So we can't be paralyzed by fear of where things are going. I think that's something that easily happens to us at times, but we try to keep our eyes on the future kingdom, on his coming, on his kingdom, and we're in fact already been brought into that kingdom, we're part of it, but it will arrive in power, and then the kingdoms of this earth will be no more. So that's what we do to not fear the beast. Well, as you've had us in the book of Daniel, I'm just going to jump to the book of Revelation. The two books go together so well, and I'm thinking of mm -hmm. Revelation 11:15. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Amen. I love that text, and I love what you've brought Amen. us today. Thanks, Vincent. Uh, can you just give us a brief little preview of what you've got in store for the next episode? So like I mentioned, uh, one of the points that we made about submitting to God, uh, submitting to earthly authorities as a form of submission to God, I think that uh, point needs to be developed in a bit more detail and, and we'll look at some more scriptures to try to help us with that. All right. Thank you. That will be in episode 91, listeners. We hope you will uh, come back for that one as well. Thanks so much for tuning in today. May the Lord bless you all. Thanks again, Vincent. Thanks, Matthew. See you next time.